Welcome everyone to the Two Tongues Podcast. Consider this your invitation to join Kyle and Chris on a journey through our minds. Where we explore the questions that have fascinated us for as long as we can remember. Could anarchy actually work? Does God exist? And just how did the cosmos get here anyway? Let me be the Virgil to your Dante, the Sacagawea to your Lewis and Clark. Let's take the guided tour through the dark chambers of our unconscious, seeking answers to the most important and unsettled questions of our shared existence. Ready or not, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, what's up, man? Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Two Tongues Podcast, a podcast where we talk shit. We do talk shit, a whole bunch of it. Um, I'm feeling awkward right now. Don't, but I still, I'm still having trouble hearing you in my headphones a little bit. Hello. That's better. That's better. I don't turn know. turn we it probably up. Turn it up. Yeah, turn, turn it, it up in my headphones a little bit, too. In your headphones. Yeah. Jeez. Are you number two headphones? I don't know. I don't know if you are or not. It's not changing at all. <clears throat> Hello. Technical. Technical. Hello. Is that better? Yeah. Uh, no, not really. But okay, whatever. Fuck it. It's acceptable. So. Bonjour. Good morning, man. Good morning. For everyone's uh, information, it's 8.31 in the morning. 8.31? On the Lord's Day. It's not very bright out, but. I wouldn't know. I haven't seen it. Yeah, not much. I haven't, left, I haven't left Plato's Cave yet this morning. Yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, I said I was feeling awkward. Why would that be, Kyle? Why would that be? Let the audience know. Let, let them in on this situation. Um, there it is. There it is, indeed. I like being able to see it better. I don't, and I'm turning it off as soon as you stop talking. <laughs> um, so yeah, we uh, are going to be on YouTube now. I guess. Yeah, we're gonna we decided. Did you you guys... figure that out? No, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. All One right. step at a time. One step at a time. First step, the khakis. Second step, webcams. Yep. Third step, fame and fortune. It's coming. And black, delicious black coffee. Delicious black coffee. And a Yoda cup. Baby Yoda. <clears throat> um, I was telling you about this a minute ago. Maybe I've talked about it before, but the cup says, Yoda, best dad, Chuck. And then it has my girl's names, your favorite child, and then both my children's names, which is kind of funny also because it's like you can't pick a favorite anyway. You realize that. But the custom names are there, both my kids' names, although my name was not customized. They forgot on the website to put my name in there, so it says Yoda Best Dad Chuck, and that's not my name. That's not my name. It's that's close. Not my name. Huh? It's close. It's it got, is close. It's got... A similar amount of letters. It starts got, with the same two letters. It does start with the first two letters. You're right. But it's pretty much the same. Close, but no cigar. I think I'm being nitpicky, actually. It's a beautiful cup. It is a beautiful cup. The sentiment is there, you know? Uh, listen, it's early, and I was up a little late last night. And, like, I, the bag's under my eyes, dude. I can see it in the camera. Point is, guys, we're on YouTube now. You guys are going to be able to see our faces. Um, but I'm getting rid of this, man. See, I just wore it, like... I like seeing it because you don't. I work. No, I do because if I don't have it up there, I'm I like I don't pay attention to what I'm doing. Like you know what I mean? Yeah, well, you're gonna have to get better at that, man. Yeah, I don't want to. Oh uh, like, yeah, this is change is hard. You know, we're in Jordan Peterson's chaos right now. 
Yeah, put a couple cameras on us. Oh, boy. Well, if we have weird mannerisms or whatever, the world's going to know. Yeah. I'm not looking forward to it. So we missed last week. That was my fault. Yeah, it was your fault. I woke up. I woke up. uh, We usually start early in the morning. Um, I woke up, and it was like four minutes until Kyle was supposed to be at my house. And I said, uh, there's no effing way I'm going to be able to do the podcast today. I was rolling towards you. So I called him up. And I, and it was like my best calling off school, uh, you know, call, calling your, calling your parents and pretending you're sick voice, you know, it's like, but I was sick. It was pretty good. That's you what sounded it sounded like. It's like, Kyle, man, there's no way, there's no way. And there wasn't any way I was completely useless. Um, that entire day, that, right? That entire next day. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You go, going hard in the drinking game, you know, it's, a uh, more and more, Dangerous, I guess, as you get older, you know. That's one way of putting it. <coughs> Danger. Yeah, yeah. I um. So I was reluctant to bring it up. I, I it's been on my mind though. This um. So just to fill in the blanks here for everyone listening, like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Uh, last week on Saturday, I went out with some friends, had a couple drinks, you know, as as, as one does. As, as one does, and. Uh, Anyway, it, it went a little too far, went over the edge at one point, and um, I, dude, I went to bed early. I woke up in the middle of the night. I was very, very sick because I drank too much. Uh, but that's it, that's disturbing. Like the quality of the hangover when, when you're an older f- person, you know, it's not the same situation as when you were younger, and it's like devastating. Yeah. It's devastating to your body. Yeah, you know, you definitely don't just bounce back. I mean, I, you know, when I was young, a bad hangover was bad. Uh, I haven't really had any hangovers though in a long time. Yeah, I just don't really. I never did a lot of heavy drinking. Yeah, so I didn't have very many of these experiences. Oh, I had hangovers when I was young for sure. But, yeah, yeah. Did it take you a whole day to get over it? No, no. So, I mean, I was young. Yeah. So. so for me, it was like a whole twenty-four hours of being useless, and uh, the whole time I was nauseous, like pretty much the whole time. And uh, I just lay laid around on the couch and. There were some things that eventually made me start feeling better. But the most disturbing part about it was not how terrible I felt physically. Although that's like punishment. It's like going to make me think twice about ever drinking heavily. Like in the, in the near future, well, at, the a minimum, wait, at a minimum. The you longer know? you wait, the worse it's going to be. Well, I don't have any intention of... I don't ever really want to get that drunk again. It was... Uh, well, I'm sure... I'm sure listen, I'm sure it was fun. But the worst, the worst part about it is... Sometimes it's not... <laughs> yeah, yep. The worst part about it is not the hangover. The worst part about it is the um, hole <coughs> in my memory of the latter part of the evening. And that's the part I'm embarrassed to talk about. The memory hole. The memory hole. Um, Just uh, a segment of your life gone. Gone. And uh, none of it came back. And uh, it was kind of a long stretch of the night. Is That happened to me once or twice before when I was younger. And I drank a little bit too much. Um but it was always a tail end of the night. It was always, it was never like anything significant. This time around, it was like hours of the e- of the early evening, and uh, it's, it bothers it's bothersome, man. It's like it's bothersome. Day drinking is a problem. It's a you problem. Know? You start drinking early. Oh, that's like God. a lot of time for dumb things to happen. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, man. It's better to start late, later in the day. Um, or. Do your day drinking, but then stop. That's the problem. Nobody knows how to stop. 
stopping. Once you get over that edge, there's no stopping. You know, there's a stigma about being a quitter, you know? Quitters never win. But do they... And quitters, I think cheaters never prosper. And they, you've heard that I think one. the cheaters do prosper. Yeah, though. that's the thing. That's what they don't tell you about. Yeah, that's what they don't tell you about. <laughs> the cheaters do prosper. Yeah, man. It's fucking assholes. I that's prospered a, from cheating sometimes. Yeah. It's a real problem, though. In the past. Yeah. But did you? It's a good question. Did you prosper in the long term? It's a good question. The short term. Yeah. Well, maybe too. You think? Yeah, I mean, like cheating at school on a test, Mm. you don't have to take that test now, you know? You passed it. And it was all stupid bullshit probably anyway. So listen, I never like cheated on a test. I never I never I never I never cheated off another person. Um I want to say there might have been times where I wrote like a, a formula down on my palm or something mm-hmm. like if they had to memorize it. Yeah. It was like very, very minimal cheating. But yeah. I'm a pretty honorable man, you know? You are an honorable man. I didn't really... I cheated a couple of times, but more than anything, I just failed. You yeah, know? I yeah, just yeah. Didn't, didn't do it, skipped the class, whatever. Yeah. There's a huge difference between you and me. Yeah, for sure. I, I didn't... Uh, I didn't skip class, I don't think, once ever. Never? Not until college. That's crazy, dude. Yeah, yeah. I never, like, left at lunch and never came back. I, I never w- did that. I was skipping class in the seventh grade. What? Yeah, dude. There was one girl when I was... I'm in not the- proud of this, but it's just <laughs> funny. There was one girl when I was in the eighth grade, so middle school was sixth, seventh, and eighth. When I was uh, in the eighth grade, uh, there was a uh, girl in the sixth grade. Who got pregnant, man? That's crazy. I didn't know and you, and get you, pregnant at that age. You were skipping school. You could have been. You couldn't. You could have been out there getting girls pregnant, man. I wasn't. I definitely was not. Good for you, man. No, no. I mean, back then, I didn't think it was good for me. Now I look back and I'm like, it's probably good that I wasn't. You know, getting chicks pregnant mm. in the seventh and eighth grade. Yeah, I definitely wasn't uh, get, trying to get girls pregnant in the 7th and 8th grade. In the ninth grade was a different story than I was trying to get them pregnant. Were you trying to get them pregnant? No, 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 no. I know a guy who uh, had his first kid when he was 14. Fuck. Yeah. Double fuck. He's 28 now, so his kid is the age. <sighs> it's rough. That is rough. It's crazy. Um, although, my... Uh, my Father and grandmother are only 13 years apart, which is weird. That is crazy. It is weird. It's like something nobody ever talks about. (laughs) Nobody ever talks about it. It's a different time, man. Yeah, you can say that, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, but it's like that that excuse works better when you're talking about, like, Genghis Khan raping raping all the uh, girls of uh, the the Eurasian steppe. You're like, yeah, it was a different time, you know? Oh, I'm talk- I think it works better I'm for... I'm talking about 1958, bro. No, I think it works in some ways better for 1958. In what way? Well, I mean, you really don't see... Like, <laughs> like somebody is talking about Genghis Khan, they're talking about mass rape and murder. You know what I mean? See, it was a different time. It was a, it was a, it was a primitive time, Kyle. Yeah. Yeah. Women, women didn't have rights back then. I guess I was thinking of... I guess I was... Uh, critiquing it more on a basis of like comparing the two things not necessarily the time mm. was it, it it 
Is that a, de- a defense? It was a different time? That, that's kind of the point I was making. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think the further back you go in time, the more legitimate it seems as a defense, but I don't think it's a defense, period. But That's kind of my point, though. Like, is it a... De- I don't think it's a defense either for things like genocide and mass rape and things like that, but when it comes to, like, cultural things, like... Let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the age at which a woman is married. Mm-hmm. Because in, old, in olden times... It was much, they were much getting married much younger, yeah. and in cultures that are more like religiously conservative, um, or maybe just conservative in general, it's still that way. You know, like women uh, in the Muslim world, you know, they're 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 getting married off when they're you know young teenagers. That's pretty common. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you think that happens in the Amish community? Probably. Probably right because they gotta have. I mean, they they want to have a bunch of kids. You, you gotta have. You gotta. Optimize the time, the, your That's childbearing sure. years, man. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I'm sure that some kind of betrothal thing probably happens. Maybe they're not like actually married for a while, but yeah, betrothal, betrothal. So, so it's like one of those, um, like we, like you, what you say, mine, and then dibs, like, dibs. Yeah, yeah. And then basically, <laughs> is that what the, is that the point of it? It's like no one else. She's yeah. off limits. Yeah, must don't be. even fucking look, dude. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm, mine is that what it is? Probably is that not. The whole point of that? No. Do you think that, I like that better? Do you, That's do, funny. Do you think that there's a lot of? Um, I don't know if a lot. Do you think there's premarital sex going on in the Amish community? That's a good question. I'm sure there is. Probably, I bet you it's like dr- like dramatically less than amongst the you know the you would, general population. You would think so? But I bet you there is. Because I wonder if those people have. More anonymity and privacy, given that they they don't have they're not exposed to the technology and and putting themselves out there like we are. Can they get away with more? Like in the barn, it's like yeah, it's like Jebediah's is Jebediah banging. um, What's um, uh, what I'm trying to think of another biblical name? Ezekiel's girlfriend. Do they have those? Do you think in the Amish community they have those sort of teenage dramas where there's premarital sex going on and one chick's you know, going after the other, I would love the other's know. buddy or cousin. Everyone's related. That would be even worse because in the Amish community, it's much closer knit, right? There's a, there's a lot fewer families because it's they're Amish, man. Who, nobody wants to be nobody Amish. Nobody wants, <laughs> wants to be Amish. There's, a, I think, there's a uh, an appeal to the Amish lifestyle. One hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I remember. This is, might be coincidental, but you remember that movie. Probably not. We, we might have talked about this once before. It was Tim Allen and uh, Christy Alley. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they were like rich New York types. I can't types. remember what it was called. Uh, it's like Going Amish or something No, like it was that. called like a t- Till Death. No, not Till Death. It was called... Um, going Amish. Anyway, uh, anyway they, they go and they live within an Amish community. And I remember, it might have been around that time because I would have been a kid. I remember thinking to myself like how challenging it would be like as a test to just go out and live on an Amish farm for a couple of weeks and just say, like, look, I just want to experience the lifestyle. I'll, I'll help you with the farm work. You're going to have to teach me, but I'll do it my best. And I'll, I'll like, you know, uh, earn my keep. Just, I just want to see if I could do it. Yeah. Uh, that was a – and that idea was in the same category as you think you could get through basic training, join the Marine Corps, you know, you think you could do that? It was it was in that same category. It was like some sort of a challenge of my mind and body that I was interested in. You know, yeah, going Amish, going Amish, or or in the military, going Amish, 
like just that title brings to mind like like some kind of a weird porn like an like a like a Bang Bros porn where there's a chick and she's sitting on the couch you know and there's the guy talking to her mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, she's like so you know like you ever been with an Amish guy. And then this guy, like Jedediah, walks in the room, you know, just hung like a stallion, yeah, exactly. with the weird, with the weird bowl cut, yeah, and, and the beard like with no mustache. God damn, that would be a good fresh off the plow, back onto the plow, fresh <laughs> off the plow. That's what it would be called. No, uh, like, it would be called going Amish. Oh, going, the, going Amish, yeah. yeah. That could be like the subtitle for part two, you know. Fresh That's weird. off the plow. That's weird, man. It's like, can you imagine? <laughs> I'm imagining like a James Bond villain or something. But you remember that that movie Taken with Liam Neeson? Yes. Imagine that scene. A particular set of skills. That's the one. Yeah. Imagine that scene where they're all the like Saudi princes or whatever, all the people with all the money that are that are um, sitting in that room and they're parading out all these sex traffic girls. They come out and they like you know display themselves and then they're bidding on the girls. You know, mm. like those rich people with terrible kinks and the power and the lack of conscience to be able to do something like that. Imagine that, like. Uh, like the way that the um, Romans used to bring in exotic animals to fight mm-hmm. in the arena, you're bringing out Amish people, and you're like bidding on them as you know, as uh, uh, sexual novelties. Like, have you ever been with an Amish? Have you ever been with a Yoder? Um, that's weird. That is weird. But there, but you know, there's a market for uh, novelty. There's always a market for novelty. Yeah, somehow the Amish like get looked over and things like that. Though, they do. Know? It's on. Yeah. Although. I would be curious to know how much, like, um, like sex trafficking. Like, are, are any Amish getting sex trafficked, you know? Well, hopefully not. No, hopefully not, of course. I mean, but. obviously, but, like, you know, it'd be interesting for what I, what I say, hopefully not. I mean, that I think it would be interesting for my, like, like personal set of values if, like, that kind of close-knit community prevented that sort of thing. Mm. Because I think that it will, to be honest with I, you. Yeah, I think so, but... It doesn't protect you from the inside. It doesn't protect you from the community. The community protects you from, True. insulates you from the outside, from the beasts in the in the forest. But it's not going to protect you from the wolf in the sheep's den. The beast beneath the boards. That's the one. Yeah. The thing is... It's a reference to House of the Dragon, by the way. Oh, nice. I, I just watched episode one. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's a good show, man. Uh, this t- Tonight is the last episode. Oh. So, Point is, so man. Anyways. Do you think? Do you think? Uh, like, what kind of sexual impropriety do you think goes on? I just imagine. Like, I hate to say this about any community, and I hate to point it like a religious community, like the Amish. But there's just like suspicions. There's suspicions, like what the Catholic Church gets away with, mm-hmm. and in a in a community that is not open to the eyes of the public, you just don't know what's going on, and you wonder how much nefarious shit goes down in in a community like that. They are kind of. N- like notoriously closed off too you know like when you were talking about that TV show it's like I don't know if they would do that they probably wouldn't do that no you know? you'd have to get some like Mennonites you have to, to pretend to be Amish you'd have to get some Mennonites on Rumspringa exactly you know that the, the Jedediah and the uh, the porn video he was definitely on Rumspringa yeah for sure for sure well, you know, it's like a, a similar situation with the uh, religious cults you know spe- especially communal type things. And you know what goes down on those cults is always some shady shit. It's always some shady sexual shit, or or some scheme that pulls resources out of out of you know dupable um, seekers of spiritual guidance. You know, yeah. you got a community full of schlubs, and you're taking all their money, and you're having sex with all their ladies, 
And I just wonder, like, is that same kind of pattern unfold in a community like the Amish? I don't know. It's just a, it's a good question. It is a good question. There's been a lot of um, shows. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it's been recently, but there's been a lot of shows where they, like like reality shows, where they will uh, follow Amish people, either the, e- yeah, either the kids that have left for Rumspringa or the, or the kids that have left the community, period. Oh, okay, that makes sense. And I remember a show, some, some dude named Moses, I think his name was, was um, a, he was an ex-Amish uh, person, and he, he was like a contractor, of course he was. He was, like, he was a construction building and trades guy. And Must be he, so nice to use like the drills and everything now. <laughs> he, uh, so he started his own business. He got out. It was hard for him. This, like, the whole show is all about his story. It was hard for him to get established. Um, he finally does. He meets a nice girl. He has kids. He has a family. Once he gets established and he has some resources, he starts helping other Amish kids who are trying to leave to make it easier for them to leave because he had it so hard without any help. He's like, I'm going to give these kids help. Well, then they bring in a TV camera and they're like, let's watch this. And it's interesting. It's, and there was several shows like that. Yeah. Breaking Amish. You don't remember that. any of these? No, nah, man. Okay. Not really. Yeah. Breaking Amish? Yeah. Are they cooking meth? Breaking them out of the Amish land. <clears throat> to cook meth. I remember the kids, the boys in particular, were always super um, eager to drive cars. That was really fun for them. They That was like... I was just thinking that, man. Imagine like your only method of transportation is a buggy with like one horse in front of you, mm-hmm. which actually is, sounds pretty cool. You know, like I, I would like to drive around in a horse and buggy. Yeah, but there, it's, it's, it's so, I mean... I don't want it to be my only option. Though. Clip-clop, clip-clop, sure. clip-clop. This is as fast as you're going to go. I was thinking about when we were talking about the construction worker guy, the contractor. Like imagine... I was talking about drills and shit, but imagine that horse and buggy, and then you have like a Ford F three fifty, you know, Mustang it's got GT, fucking Bluetooth, and yeah, man, uh, yeah. So I, I, so they were big on cars. They were big on alcohol. They would get nothing but drunk. Yeah. Um, and then they would fool around with girls, and a lot of times they were um, the Amish girls, but not always. Sometimes they were English girls. And uh, they would they would all call all live together to save money and like trailers and shit and uh, it was it was interesting. Um, did they get jobs and shit? Yeah, they would get jobs. I think they were working like on. Uh, did they keep those goofy ass Amish haircuts or did they like? No, I don't think they did. Because that's like a dead giveaway. You couldn't you know? listen. They, you couldn't tell that they were Amish really? apart from the fact that they were felt. All of the all of the guys were like. <laughs> in really good shape because they work hard on a farm their whole yeah, life yeah, yeah. compared to irregular Americans you're like this person is from Europe what's going on here they, they look way too healthy and then uh, the way they talk yeah they got a little bit of a you would call it an accent but it's very subtle they're really good at they're really good at sounding American but they in, at back home they speak um, Pennsylvania Dutch it's like a German language right whatever they speak um, and I don't even think their language is spoken in Europe I don't think that so. brings me to another topic, Kyle. What's that? Cultural diversity. Okay. This is a high horse that I sometimes I like to get on, and it seems like it seems like the environment is changed enough for me to bring this up again. It's less sensitive. There's this idea that white people, in particular, don't contribute to cultural diversity. That seems to be um, pretty accepted. That white people don't contribute to cultural diversity. Um, would you agree with that? <clears throat> white people don't contribute to cultural diversity. Um, anybody who says that 
needs to go to, I mean, and you're going to have to wait basically an entire year. But honestly, you could probably find something else to substitute for this. But go to your Oktoberfest next time and look at what's going on there. Because Oktoberfest is like a German thing, but more specifically like a Bavarian mm. kind of German yeah. thing. Um, See, even that's an interesting statement to make. Because yeah. Bavarian isn't the same as yeah. lots of other t- but, subcultures. But... So yeah, it's a Bavarian German kind of that's where it originates. But what it is, when I went to the last Oktoberfest I went to, there were like Polish dancers there. Mm. No, I mean to say that white people don't contribute to cultural diversity is um it's R-worded. Yes. <laughs> now, <clears throat> agreed. What would you agree that that is a more or less accepted culturally right oh, now? Oh yeah, no. Okay. Sadly, Sadly, um, so I think that's I think that's true. Uh, it's it's in the same category. It's to say that white people don't contribute to cultural diversity is in the same category as saying black people can't be racist, because both things both things are said and they're both completely ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but I think the Amish raise an interesting case in point, especially in America, because this is a big melting pot, and I think one of the biggest tra- tragedies about that is is. Well, it's that white people are all lumped together and called white people. Black people are all, are all lumped together and called black people. To some degree, Asians are lumped together and called Asians, and they lose all of their distinction among them. And it's something that we do. It's like you're going to create a whole other culture that you have to assimilate to. We're going to call this American culture. And it's not like it was planned. This is a natural, organic thing that happens. And people from all over the world come together, and they got to figure out a way to jive. So they, they come up with a common culture that allows them to live together and have common values and work towards similar goals and all that shit. Speak the same language. And all that is important and it's good. But as a result, one of the unintended consequences are we lose track of our history. We no longer see the differences among ourselves. And it's precarious. It's yeah. fucking dangerous. Yeah. I do think that this kind of prevailing culture uh, yeah cultural idea that white people don't contribute to cultural diversity is making that true uh, you know um, I think a lot of people a lot of white people kind of you know through for reasons of guilt or, or whatever kind of accept those things as true they like internalize they it they and, do it's and weird then it becomes true on some level that that's also weird and true it becomes true on some level only that level isn't true but because it's a consensus enough, it has this pseudo-truth, it has this power to persuade, and it's fucking weird, man. I think it becomes true in a literal sense, too, because I think a lot of times when people accept an idea like that, they kind of reject, you know, they just want, like, uh, they tend to be the kind of people that's just like Starbucks, you know, like that's that's yeah. white culture, yeah. you know what I mean? yeah. White culture. That's corporate American culture. It's not white culture, but I, you know, but yeah, to white get, culture. To get to get to get back. Well, to get back <laughs> to get back to the uh, to the Amish as an example of cultural diversity. Here you have a group of white people that everyone else in this country, for the most part, is comfortable calling white people. Just just like every other white person, and yet their first language isn't English, right? Um. They have a clearly a unique genetic stock. When you look at Am, like an Amish person, I don't know if you've noticed this, but they have a particular look. 
Yeah. You know, there's a like I said, a very there, there's a <laughs> there's a much smaller gene pool, and when you see Amish people, they look I think noticeably different than ordinary Americans, um, it, and it's distinct. It's like if you ever see somebody from Ethiopia, for some reason Ethiopia. Those people have a very unique look, and you could sit, you could put an Ethiopian right next to uh, a Kenyan. Let's say I will, po- I will pick the Ethiopian every time. They have a very particular look. So you have somebody who clearly, with the example of uh, Ethiopian people or Amish people, you have an example of people that have a distinct, distinct genetic lineage that's obvious to the naked eye. You know, f- you know, familial relations that you can detect with the naked eye. They speak a different language. They have a very minority religion, right? Very, very, very few people practice the religion that they practice. Um, they check every single box of a cultural minority group. And everybody in this country, more or less, would be comfortable saying, you know, in a lineup, that's a white dude, that's a white dude, that's a white dude. Make no distinction between the Amish person, the the person, the first generation Scandinavian immigrant, the sixth generation Italian uh, American. Make no distinction between them. And I just think that is a tragedy, you know? It's a lie. We're, we're telling a lie. We're, perp- we're propagating a lie that says all white people and all black people are the same, and it is a terrible thing. I mean... This little booty here, this little traditional booty, is made of. Um, I love some traditional booty. It's 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 made of uh, uh, reindeer. I think it's reindeer. It's um, traditional shoes that my wife's father got from his father. They're from Finland. Finland. They're traditional shoes. This is traditional garb. It looks very much like something you might see a Native American person wearing, you might imagine, in certain parts of the north, right? Yep. This is a traditional garb from a European culture. This is something that's unique to Finland that would not be the same for Germany or the Netherlands or, or Sweden, right? This is cultural diversity, and we've forgotten that certain white people used to wear shoes like this. Yep. And I think... I just think it's uh, it's some sort of weird lie that we're telling ourselves. And anytime the culture wants to believe a fib, I think it's dangerous. Why do you why do you think that that lie is being you know perpetuated? I mean, I guess... Do you think that that lie is being perpetuated, first of all? Or do you think it's like an organically spreading idea? I think it's both. I think that there is a um, a very real pressure in America, especially in the early days of this country, um, in the... In the, in the 1800s, let's say, mm-hmm. uh, even the early early 1900s, immigrants who came over here had a very strong uh, cultural motivation to assimilate, mm-hmm. you know? And the immigrant parents would send their kids to English-speaking schools, and even though the parents and grandparents wouldn't always learn English or wouldn't always learn it well, they wanted their kids to learn it. They wanted their kids to become American, to learn the culture, to play baseball, to, you know, to do all the things Americans do. And um, I think that is a sort of um, whitewashing, you know, you're intentionally whitewashing away culture. 
Every American who's been here more than a couple generations knows what that means. Anytime you want to go back beyond your great grandparents, <coughs> in you know genealogically speaking, good luck. Mm-hmm. Good luck. Nobody knows. Nobody knows, and nobody seems to care. And I think that may boil down to this incentive to assimilate that happened, um, you know, during the early days of our, of our country. Now. I think it's a political, I think it's being grabbed a hold of for political reasons. And the the thing is, well, politicians have a great way of penning one side against another as a way of keeping people fighting with each other rather than than putting their attention on what the politicians are doing, you know. Um, I think that's a very intentional political strategy, keep keep people fighting internally, and then you can do whatever you want, you know. Everyone's occupied. And that's what the culture war is all about. And it, it, you know, there's no effing surprise, Kyle, why every time there's an election cycle, it, you know, leading up to it, why are there always cultural tensions? Why are there always social issues being brought to the forefront every fucking two years? You know, I think that's that's the new um, that's the new angle on it. It's we're going to use this this whitewashing of of uh, culture. And by the way, it's not just white people that are affected by this. Black people are in exactly the same boat. And even worse because those people have less cultural memory of of uh, where they came from. They were whitewashed even worse because of because of the slave trade. So so you know, black people in America don't have any idea where they come from or what their or what their cultural heritage is. White people generally don't either. And that's useful when you're trying to when you're trying to divide the country between two sides to get them to unanimously fight with each other, well, you need to somehow find a way to break them up into two pieces. And race seems to work great, so that's what they're using now. Um, and I think that our our um, you know what what we've failed to hang on to from our own cultural heritage is being used against us. It's a weakness that's being used against us. And in, in this country, people just don't know. Like, ask an ordinary American about world geography. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. We don't know. We don't have any idea what it was like where we came from or where we came from or that there's, or that, there's a, that level of diversity. And the point you made about Bavaria earlier is a great point. You know, like my family on my mom's side comes from Germany. And I had this vague idea that that means a few things. It means beer steins, and it means you know what it means. Uh, really weird porn. It means it means caca porn. <laughs> uh, it, it you know I'm just thinking like things that are German, right? It means like efficient efficient engineering design. You yeah, know, it, it yeah. means a certain th- things. But if you're from Germany, you're laughing at that. Yeah. You know, you're like, no. There's whole this this region is all about this and this re- we're like this over here and you know there's very little that we all share in common we have this uh, certain umbrella and what they would refer to as that umbrella is nothing like what I'm pointing to as an American we have a serious ignorance about that and some of that is intentional and some of that is ch- chalked up to the declining intellectual atmosphere you know lack of curiosity and lack of education but uh, either way that shit's used being used against us what say you Kyle. Um, I think that it is being used against us. I think, um, I just wonder like what the, what is the end game? Is, is control the end game or is there like something else? Is there another reason why they want us to, to, you know, drop any kind of 
identifying characteristic. You know what I mean? You're, I just imagine it has to do with control and governance. Yeah. The more uniform you are, the easier it is to control. You know, if you look at cultures that are uh, homogenous, like Japan or Sweden or something like that, very low crime. Uh, you know, um, tr- tremendous amount of cohesion in 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 the culture. I mean, very clean streets. You know, respect, mutual respect. There's lots of things about really homogenous cultures that are appealing, <clears throat> and um, I think that it would be much harder to uh, imagine the Japanese overthrowing their prime minister than it would to imagine um, a multicultural society like Brazil doing something like that. Uh, what are the odds, you know? So I think it, I think it has to do with control. And um, if you look at what, like what are the politicians getting away with that, w- like why would pitting us against each other benefit them? Why would they want to do that? And you just follow the money. You just see, you know, these people get to work jobs that, on the surface, to me, seem like they're popularity contests that require almost no work, almost no actual work <coughs> for from them. Um, they don't, they never have the competition or the um, uh, the trials and tribulations that most people have to go through day to day just to survive. Meanwhile, they're they're putting themselves in positions to benefit astronomically from all sorts of you know deals and uh, you know <clears throat> um, advanced knowledge of you know. <clears throat> what legislation is going to affect this particular industry? Meanwhile, you got people like Nancy Pelosi's husband making a boatload of money on on that kind of information. Yeah. So there's ser- there's serious um, reasons why these people want want to uh, stay in power, and you know, and it's just like I don't know, man. I don't, I don't find it to be honorable. Uh, I find I, I think there's like a couple of different types of survival strategies, kind of a high level. And one of the survival strategies is to lie, cheat, and steal. And it works until it doesn't, you know. And if, as long as it works, it's way easier than the alternative, which is to work hard and make sacrifices and, and to uh, um, take risks, you know, and to plan and to, you know what I mean? So there's always going to be those people out there. And uh, <coughs> politicians that are lifelong politicians... Every one of them, as far as I'm concerned, maybe not every one of them. There are a few. There are a few. I don't want to be. I don't want to be make a blanket statement like I was going to, but a very large majority of them are using that cuckoo, uh, cuckoo bird or uh, whatever strategy where they're lying, cheating, and stealing as a way of as a way of conserving energy, conserving calories. How do I do as little as possible and benefit as much as possible? And I think. Career politicians, by and large, they're using that strategy. It's dishonorable, you know. Yeah. Compared to a politician no here, <laughs> compared to a politician who, I don't know. I, I look at somebody like, <coughs> like Ron Paul, and I see it's the one. I see a different strategy. I do see a lifelong politician, yeah. but he also is a medical doctor and had had a full career of working as a medical doctor, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, he he seems like somebody who can't get a leg up. He you know he can't even get like he's got the whole machine working against him when he was trying to run for president. It's shameful. Like what like what happened with Bernie? Shameful even with Bernie. The whole system working against him because nobody wants honesty. Nobody wants an a authentic 
attempt at governance. You know, we just want to keep the status quo. It's dishonorable, man. Yeah. I mean, fuck Barney, but I agree. Um, yeah, people, I think a lot of people think that the entire system was working against Trump. And, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, the system was working against Trump. But Ron Paul would have never, I mean, Donald Trump became president, you know? Like, he, he was president for one term. Ron Paul, there is no way in hell he would have ever become president. That's true. That's true. Ron, I mean, he was just way too disruptive. Ron Paul's way more dangerous than Donald oh Trump to the status quo. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, he would have gotten, he would have, you know, taken like a convertible ride through Dallas. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Yep. Which would be a tragedy. Terrible. Ron Paul's the man. Ron Paul is the man. You remember when he had a stroke on his show? No. You didn't hear about that? No, tell me about it. He had a stroke. He, I mean, he, he hosts the Liberty Report. Yeah. And he had a stroke on, on the show. Jesus. Yeah. How long was this? How long ago was this? Maybe two years ago oh, or something. Oh, wow. Jeez. Yeah. Well, Somewhere in that area. That's incredible. Yeah, he was back like three days later or something. See what I mean? Honorable. Yeah, honorable. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Um, I was going to say something. But you've and, forgotten it. Yeah, it was a that was an epic rant. Yeah, I'll do that if you let me. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll do that. It's a good one. Though. I do think we should start using the word dishonorable more. Yeah, just, just like it's it it's cut it's biting, isn't it? Yeah. Can you imagine if somebody like in an argument with like a stern face, very serious, called you dishonorable? That's it's fighting words. <sighs> Boy, you're a dishonorable we man. Should, we should bring it back. That's, that's pretty it doesn't cool. have. The, uh, you know, I don't know. There's just something about it that it doesn't have, like, the pop that I'm like, you're a bitch. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, but it's also not played out like you're a bitch. I guess. Like, you're absolutely dishonorable, sir. Doesn't have the bite, but it... Seems like you're about to slap them with your glove or something. Yeah, you know? absolutely. You should do that. And I bet that hurts way more than it than it seems like on the Looney Tunes. Um, I bet it does, but I think I'd rather get slapped with a glove than, like, kneed in the head. You know what I mean? Uh, slapped it with a glove. Those were, <coughs> well, I'm sure those were, like, leather riding gloves back in the day. Yeah. Those, those. I mean. That was a, you know, I'm sure it didn't feel good. You ever, like, catch a football or a basketball on the face? You know, like, trying to oh, catch yeah. it, and it just, or, like, somebody um, playing dodgeball whipped one of those rubber ones at you? You ever get smacked in the face like that? I got hit. I've gotten hit in the face with a basketball before. Oh. I'm like, yeah. I'm the guy who, if I'm in a gymnasium and people are playing basketball, I will always get hit in the head with a random basketball. It's like <laughs> you're like a magnet. That there's like they have like a homing beacon in my mm. head or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. The point is, it really fucking sucks. I remember one time it was it was raining and uh, Brian and I were playing football in the neighborhood and uh, he just chopped chopped one way up in the air like a high one on purpose. And then you're like looking for it. And I ran over and dove, you know, and, you know, wasn't the most athletic guy. I dove for it and I just kind of out dove it and the ball came in and just smacked me in the face. <clears throat> and it was a little bit wet. Oh, my God. It was like somebody smacked me in the face with a um, with like a rubber. You know, those you know, those those things that they slide pizzas in and out with with yeah. at the pizza oven. Imagine one of those made of rubber just Damn. smacked me in the face <laughs> with it, man. That's what it felt like. That's crazy. I have this memory <clears throat> of playing football, like uh, touch football in the recess yard um, when I was in like 
fourth grade, something like that. And I was so bad. Um, you know, it's like basically they snap the ball. Everyone's a receiver. You just run out there and the person quarterbacking, you know, throws the ball to someone. And every now and then, against their better judgment, the person quarterbacking would throw me the ball. And I would <laughs> drop it every damn time. Uh, that's the worst. Yep. Uh, and this one time I remember he threw it to me and I had to jump to to get it and I caught it. And I remember I was I didn't land on my feet. I was falling. Oh, no. It was in like slow motion, dude. I, I and this is how I remember it. it. It's an early memory that I have, and it's like very vivid. Really, I remember it feeling like it was in slow motion while it was happening, mm. falling, mm. and I caught it. It was like between my legs. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so when you tell me that story, there's one that comes to my mind. Uh, maybe similar. I must have been like I was younger than eight. I must have been like five or six years old I was on the playground um some kid he did like a cartwheel into me his foot kicked me in the nose damn and um, did you do that on purpose I don't remember yeah that's a that's a cool fight move if you did yeah yeah, absolutely he caught me in the nose and I was just gushing blood and what I remember was um uh, one of the like teachers because they had a couple of adults back in the day would have a couple adults just um positioned stationed sentinel at different areas of the playground just watching making sure nobody was getting hurt nobody was fighting and uh, one one of those ladies sees this happen she comes over she grabs my hand she's taking me into the office you know and i remember just walking through the through the just uh, dripping. just well the thing is i had a white t-shirt on oh. and i just remember it was red Damn. all the way down the middle of my shirt just red um it, also a vivid memory um i don't I don't have much else that I can remember. Just really just walking, holding that teacher's hand, walking to the office and looking down and seeing that blood on my shirt. That's really all I can actually remember from that story. How how old would you say you were? Probably like five, six, maybe seven. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. Um, I, I don't I don't remember any nosebleeds. I don't, my nose didn't bleed that often. I never got clocked in the nose like that either. I used to have just nosebleeds for no reason. Every now and then I'd have one of those, but it wouldn't be that bad. Mm-hmm. You know, the air gets dry. Yeah. I remember one time I was sleeping over at my grandpa's house, and uh, I guess I was picking my nose in my sleep, and it, my nose was bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. So um, I've been watching... Uh, you know that Jeffrey Dahmer documentary? That yeah, meant, yeah. So. I haven't watched any of it. Well, so Netflix has two Dahmer documentaries. And my wife and I started watching them, one, and then we switched to the other one. Mm-hmm. And it's been kind of interesting because one of them is a dramatization of, it's like a reenactment of what happened. So you're like watching a series, and there's no documentary element to it. You're just watching Jeffrey Dahmer's life. The other one is more of a documentary where they're using the tapes, audio tapes, from his attorney's conversations with him in jail. Um, well, he just told her everything, just everything. And they use those tapes to piece together this story. And it's so the reason I bring this up is that my wife likes the dramatization one. She always, she, every night, she asks me if we, you know, to turn it on. And I'm like, begrudgingly turning it on. I'm like, fine. Like, can we watch the other one? Because I like the other one. I like, I like the one where they use his actual tapes. And I, I think I know why. So my wife watches. The terrible shit Jeffrey Dahmer did, and she's intrigued by 
the evil. She's intrigued by the fact that somebody could do something like that. And watching it is like thrilling to her, just like if you're watching a horror movie, it would be, would be thrilling and horrifying. Um, when I watch that, I'm like, like turning my turning my nose up to it. I'm like, you know, it's like, it's not pleasant, man. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to see it. I don't want to watch it. I literally, I'm like, I, I watched it. I, I, don't get me wrong. pretty graphic? Not, not particularly, but it's just, it's, it's, I don't know what to say. I could call it gross. I could call it, uh, I could call it um, disturbing. Maybe that's the best word. I don't want to be disturbed in that way, especially at night when I'm watching TV, I'm relaxing. I don't want my spirit stirred up in that way. But if I listen to the audio one where they're, they're, it's like it becomes this psychological puzzle for me where I'm like listening to him like, oh, he that's what he th- was thinking. That's what was motivating him. That's what got him there. The, to me, the whole psychological um, analysis is fascinating. But as soon as you change from the from examining his words to showing what he did, I'm like, I'm out. I'm out. It's not for me, man. And yeah. I just think it's weird that my wife is exactly the opposite. She's got almost no interest in hearing his words. She just wants to watch the crazy shit he did. It's, it's interesting. It's hard for me to empathize with either of you because I just don't, like, really care mm. about, you know, for some reason, I don't know, the Dahmer thing is just not grabbing me. Uh, I tried to watch one, the first episode of, I think, the drama, yeah, I think it was all dramatization. It's just called uh, Dahmer. It's that got one. that kid from the American Horror Story. He's playing Dahmer. I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I so I tried to watch one episode of that, but I was like about to eat, and I was like, I just feel like I shouldn't mm. be eating while yeah. I watch this. And then I just never got back so around they, to it. So where I am in the I don't show, watch a ton of TV shows. Yeah, that's the difference between you and me. I like to I like to have a TV show to watch, um, especially mindless something mindless. And I get into the habit of watching shit that I've that I've loved, but I've already watched a bunch of times. So it's like The Office is a go-to, or It's Always Sunny or something is a go-to. Um, Futurama is a go-to. Uh, I'm surprised you aren't watching more like video podcasts, like comedy video podcasts. Yeah, they're funny, man. It's, uh... The only the only video podcast I ever much watch is uh, uh, JRE. And um, and all and now actually uh, Jordan Peterson and I because his podcast now on uh, Daily Wire Plus includes they're like his actual lectures so just like what you would find on YouTube if you w- wanted to watch the lecture on YouTube but I can watch it in podcast form with a video component which is exactly what Rogan's doing um, which I like I like you know yeah I've been getting into his personality lectures which I uh, I. Always had more of a preference for Jordan's biblical lectures and his more uh, like Carl Jung type shit, um, but his personality lectures are pretty interesting. They're like way more philosophical than I thought they were going to be. So he, he talks a lot about the big five personality traits. So weird, man. I just went like this with my fingers when I said that, and that's like uh, if you ever watch Jordan talk, he does weird shit with his hands. Oh, all the you time. Know? Yeah. yeah. It was very much like that. He's like, yeah, I'm trying to come up with You're this. Picking up his manners. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. Yeah, I don't either. You you watch uh, strictly YouTube most of the time? Most of the time, it's YouTube. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've been watching House of the Dragon on HBO one night a week. Mm. Um, oh, but sorry to interrupt you. But you remember how I brought up John Stewart had that show? I thought it was on HBO. It's on. 
It's on Apple T- Apple TV. Yeah. Sorry, I just clarifying that error from two weeks I ago. Even, I don't even remember talking about John Stewart. Yeah, I, I yeah I mentioned that he was back. He had another talk show just like he had because we talked about Trevor Noah. I think uh, oh, retiring yeah. or yeah, cause, whatever. Uh, I heard Chen Gillis was gonna take. <laughs> that's that right. That's show. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one. Yeah. Yep. Still bummed about that. Mm. Um, but John Stewart, I, I've seen some clips of that show and. John Stewart's one of those people where he can say a lot of stuff that I really agree with. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, this guy's smart. Yep. And then he says one thing, and I'm just like, <laughs> what the fuck yeah. are you talking about, John yeah. Stewart? He's bad about that. Yeah. So is Bill Maher now. Um, I mean, he's he's coming I'd around. I think Bill Maher's better than John Stewart at this point. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Except when it comes to being just kind of a creepy fuck. You ever see any of his podcast? No. Oh, dude. Is he a creepy fuck? <laughs> so, uh, well, what is it called? What is his podcast called? It's called, like, Club... Oh, I don't know. Club Nowhere or something mm, like that. Sure it is. Um, and it's uh, it's just kind of cringe. It's this, like... I mean, how old is Bill Maher? He's, like, 70. It's gotta be, yeah. Uh, so it's, like, this 70-year-old man trying to be cool. Like, he's got... They're, like, drinking drinks, and he's, you know, wearing fucking aviators <laughs> and... Uh, he had this lady on named Bella Thorne, and I think we might have talked about this actually. Mm. Um, she's just like this young actress type lady, mm-hmm. suit, you know, like uber feminist kind of Me Too person. Of course she is. Yeah. And um, Bill Maher is just like hitting on her, and mm. it's it's just really cringe. Mm. Hitting on her like legitimately or as a co- uh, for comedic effect? No, no, like oh. pretty, you yeah. know, yeah, like for real, and just saying like very awkward weird things oh boy yeah you should watch it it's hilarious it's like from front to back it's entertaining oh boy oh, uh, i feel like you don't you don't really enjoy stuff like that necessarily though like the ironically um it works better for me if i already dislike the person um gotcha you know what i mean like somebody who deserves it yeah but You're i like look at this idiot but i know what you mean because my um I'm a nice guy, man. I don't like I don't like people. I don't like seeing people hurt or embarrassed or you know whatever. I don't like that. What if they don't feel embarrassed about it at all, but you think it's embarrassing? I don't like embarrass. Embarrassing is one of the worst emotions. I hate it. I I don't I don't enjoy it if if it happens to me. I don't enjoy it if it happens to other people. Unless, like I said, unless I really feel like you deserve it and I, it feels like justice. You know, like you fuck. Yeah, be embarrassed. Be embarrassed. Motherfucker. <laughs> um, yeah. Yep. Uh, wh- why were we talking about that? I don't know. I want to I tell you about this little book, though. That's a good-looking book. I don't know if you can see this on the camera. Uh, so this was advertised for me on Amazon, and it was the only time, maybe not the only time, but one of the only times the algorithm has worked because... The Neverending Story is one of my favorite movies of all time. And this book is in, obviously, the movie, in the old bookshop where the little boy, where uh, Bastion was hiding from the bullies, and he goes into the bookshop, and this book's landing under the desk. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Oh, God, you should watch it. In the in the movie, the book is much bigger. <laughs> it's this bigger, leather-bound book, but it's got the or in here, this symbol. The reason I show it to you is because it's awesome. It's the actual book. It, it's it's awesome. I, it's just like a prop for me, but it's so cool. I, I had to spend the money. It's so cool. 
Um, it's just particularly nostalgic for me. But here's why I wanted to bring it up. Remember how we were talking um, a few weeks ago about, I think he was talking about these books, these old books that I bought from, uh, I collected over the years mostly from Half Press Books. But I buy these old books because I like them. And I like the way they look. And like I bought Spinoza. And I sat on my desk for years and years and years and years and years. And then when I started getting more deeply into uh, the Carl Jung stuff, the Jordan Peterson stuff, the mystical experience stuff, uh, I learned that Spinoza was one of the key philosophers in that uh, train of thought. And you already had it. And I already had the book. But lots of the books that I had ended up being like that, like um, like like Hegel's philosophy and just a, a whole bunch of others. And, um, and I thought, like, that's a weird coincidence that this this thing that's overwhelmed my interest at this point in my life, I had this sort of symbolic and important piece of it this whole time, you know? Like my mom, she, uh, I was talking to her the other day, and she reminded me of this story which changes every time she tells it. Like I get younger and younger every time she tells the story. But there's this, this event that happened. Uh, I woke up early in the morning on the weekends. On Saturdays, remember we were growing up, that was cartoons in the morning. Fucking A. It was like, man. That was before there was cartoons like regularly available all the time. But mm-hmm. Saturday mornings, it was hours of cartoons in the morning. So you wake up, mom and dad are still sleeping. You go pour your own cereal. You spill milk all over the counter. You go, you sit on the you sit on the couch or you sit in front of the TV, Indian style, and you're eating your cereal and you're watching the cartoons. Well, Sunday wasn't like that. Sunday didn't have cartoons. So you wake up on Sunday and it was like a preacher on the TV. So I'm sitting... In front of the TV, watching. For me, it was a preacher in front of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sitting in front of the TV watching a preacher on TV. The preacher says, "If you want to be saved, just follow these instructions." And I'm this, I'm this like five year old kid. You're like I want to be, or saved. maybe younger. I don't remember. Like I want to be saved. So he's like, "Put your hand on the TV." So I put my hand on the TV and, I, and pray this prayer with me. So my mom comes walking down the hallway, <laughs> oh, and she so sees funny. her little, she sees her little boy. Sitting praying with his head on the TV to this preacher, my mom. My mom thinks that this is a sign that I'm so, that I'm some sort of Messiah figure, that I like I'm, I'm going to be some kind of preacher when I, when I'm growing up. Why am I telling you this story? Um, That's hilarious. oh, it's just another it's just another weird coincidence where the rest of my life, my deepest interests were going to get wrapped up in the in the idea of God, and it still is. And you have this foreshadowing. You have this. You could think of it that way. If if you were writing the the docu series about my life, you might put that scene in there, right, as the beginning of my uh, fascination with this idea of God or whatever. Um, I tell you all that just to say there's these weird coincidences that that I can point to and say it's so strange that I had ac- that I was exposed to that then when this is what happened later in my life, and I don't know if those coincidences are just coincidences or if there's some if there's something beyond coincidence going on so before I move on what do you think of that uh, I just really love the image of you as a kid with your hand up on the TV that's funny as hell <clears throat> yeah um, as far as there being like coincidence um, I don't know man so like the, just take this about the Spinoza book as an example yeah um do you think it's entirely accidental that that it appealed to me at that time and became important in a whole different way, you know, 15 years later? Um, 
Maybe. I think that, uh, I just don't think it, I, I see where you're coming from, but I also don't think it's like that big of a, you, you bought old books, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Um, and, be. and it's not like you picking up that Spinoza book gave you the access to Spinoza that you wouldn't have had otherwise. You yeah. know, when yeah. you started learning about, when you got deeper into the panpsychism and stuff like that, um, you would have found out about Spinoza and you could have bought it on Amazon. You know what I mean? True, true. Um, well, I guess what I mean is, like in the Petersonian sense, um, was there something that I recognized subconsciously, let's say, that was shining? Like how Jordan says, your interests are like a light that shines or glimmers in the darkness and it brings your attention to them. You're pulled towards something that interests you, even though you don't know why you're interested in it. And you don't even really understand what interest is. All you know is something is appealing to you, like a gravitational force. When I was looking through that stack of old, cool books, I picked Spinoza. I'm just wondering, do you think there's any likelihood that it shone to me somehow? Did you read any of it? A little, yeah. But it's really dense and, and, and interesting. The whole, yeah. the whole beginning of the book is like a list of mathematical axioms. He's like, you know, uh, this statement is true, so therefore all of these other statements must be true. And it, it, it's like pages and pages of that. And I'm like, fuck this, you know. So I haven't really um, gotten as deep into Spinoza as I would like to because it's just a trudge to, to, to read it. But the point is, do you think... Do you think it's entirely coincidental or do you think that it's possible that there might have been something more going on in my selection of that? I think book? it's possible. Uh, I do tend to lean towards more that it was probably just like coincidence, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean that the meaning that I attribute to it post hoc after the fact isn't isn't cool and significant. Yeah, no. It's absolutely. just you know, it might not have been you know, God, supernatural. But the reason I bring it up is because I didn't realize until I ordered this book and it showed up that the Orin, that the symbol on the never-ending story it's an is an Ouroboros. Uh, it's a very complicated Ouroboros, yeah. but it's an Ouroboros. It's a serpent swallowing its tail. It's the unified circle, the self-contained thing. And the Ouroboros has become the symbolic image of my quest my this this new phase of my life, this mystical phase of my life, the Ouroboros is the symbol that represents that quest, the quest for God, and uh, and I just thought this movie that I fucking loved growing up happens to have this same symbol in such a prominent position, and I just wondered like that's a weird coincidence, but is it? And I don't know, so I'm asking, like the Ouroboros is a symbol that is cross-cultural it's very ancient so it's something that's been around a very long time and you see it you see it in the yin yang that's ouroboros um you see you see it lots of places um so it's not like out of the realm of possibility that i would encounter that symbol in one form or another and then it's completely coincidental when i find it appearing in some other place but it just seems significant like the way that schizophrenics think things are filled with significance, you know? That's how it seems. Like, it's it, it's significant, you know, for a reason, and I noticed it. Look how clever I am that I noticed it, you know? Yeah. I don't know, just bringing it up. 
Yeah, it is. It's definitely cool that it's an Ouroboros. I didn't know that either. Like, I noticed it when we came in here and you had it sitting there. Uh, but uh, until then, I don't think I could have told you that. Um, it's a cool little little copy of that book, man. It is. I have another one upstairs. It's a copy of The Hobbit. And it's a really cool, it's like one of those, um, what was that, Barnes & Noble? You know how Barnes & Noble used to make those, like, classic books, but they would make versions of them that were really oh, fucking yeah. cool looking? Yeah. I have one of those of The that's Hobbit. Cool. It's got, like, the, like the silk bookmarker that's sewn in, like this one does. It's really cool. So, I'm, anyway, I'm going to read them to my kids if, as soon as they're, I tried, man, but they don't have the patience for one chapter, you know? Even the older? Even the older. Yeah. I I, got to, like, teach her. I'm like, look, when I read you the story, because she wants she's learning to read, so she wants to read. Mm. But I kind of want to read to her and let her picture it, right? Like, that's the greatest part of of having somebody tell you a story. It's to not have to do any work and to find yourself suddenly in in the world of imagination following along with the story. That, that's what's cool about watching a movie when you get sucked into it or somebody telling you a story. So I'm trying to teach her, like, close your eyes if you have to. Don't get distracted. Listen to what I'm saying. Try to picture it. And she's like, you know, she's she's too hyper for that. She's like, you know, fuck you. I want to read. Yeah. And then when she reads, it's slow. It's not, it's not fast enough and cohesive enough to, like, have the story play. Mm-hmm. It's just you know it's slow and stuttered, and then you gotta like once you once you've read the one sentence, then you gotta like kind of read it again fluidly to understand. It's difficult you know when you're learning to read. Yeah, absolutely. You know, especially with like I mean I know that's like still a kids book, but there's like full sentences. You know, it's not like a, oh yeah, it's you know, not like a, you know what I love about this is that the first couple of pages, they end right here, and it just stops mid page, and it says the never ending story. And then on the next page, you're in Fantasia. How cool is that, man? God damn, that's cool. It's pretty cool. All right. So anyway, I like this more than maybe the audience does, so I'm going to put it away. Um, Never Ending Story was pretty pretty sweet. Loved it. I didn't. Was it a book before it was a movie? Is that like that's book? That's a great question. I don't know. What is the content in there? I mean, it's the actual story the of the of the movie. So it's uh, Bastion's mom dies. You know he's he goes to the school. He keep where he's running from the bullies. He gets the book. He goes to school. He starts reading it in the in the attic. Then yeah. he finds himself in Fantasia. Or not he doesn't, but you know he gets sucked into the book. And then the rest of it's the Fantasia story. All that's in there. You know it's hmm. so I don't know if it was a book first or if they adapted it, but it's so cool, man. It is pretty cool. Um. What books, I mean, what other books are you, like, trying to read to your kids? That's a good question. I had a uh, desire years ago to write children's stories. Yeah. Um, like, particular ones. I, I wanted to I wanted to see if I could take these really important uh, mythological stories from ancient history and make them into, like, an entertaining children's story. And um, I, I put not as much effort into that as I thought, but I started with Gilgamesh. I wanted to do this Gilgamesh as a children's book. Because if you grew up learning those sorts of stories, like Greco-Roman stories, that stuff's going to be so important in understanding other literature and art and culture. It's important to know those stories. And a lot of people know them, know those stories. Not as many as used to, but some people do. Nobody knows Gilgamesh. Nobody knows you know uh, those Babylonian stories anymore or the Egyptian stories anymore. 
Um, point is, I never re- wrote those, so moot point. But um, but the Hobbit for sure, Neverending Story, and uh, the Princess Bride. All right. Um, how about you? I don't have any kids. I know you don't have any kids. <laughs> Uh, I would definitely want to read The Hobbit to them if I had yeah. if I had kids. Probably Harry Potter too. Yeah, I love Harry hadn't Potter. thought of that. Might I, be better just to let Jim Dale do that though. One hundred percent. I mean, he's that's so good. So my uh, so my my ex wife, um, when her uh, daughter was learning to read, um, I went out to the library and I bought um, I rented uh, two copies of The Sorcerer's Stone. And one copy of the audiobook on on uh, not cassette on on uh, CD, and I did exactly what you talked about. We both sat down, we read along together in the book, but we let Jim Dale do the reading. Nice, because why would you not? Yeah, Jim you Dale's know? the best. Jim Dale's the best, man. If anybody likes audiobooks, Jim Dale's the man. Yeah, if you don't know who Jim Dale is, he's a guy who reads audiobooks. I don't know any other audiobooks that he's done. To be honest with you, I'm sure he's done other ones probably, but. I bet they're terrific. It's a masterpiece in Harry Potter. Um, you know, speaking of Harry Potter, I listened to... You, we talked about Jay Dyer a couple weeks mm-hmm, ago. Mm-hmm. I listened to him and his wife kind of... Uh, that's one thing that Jay Dyer does a lot of is, um, you know, like, breaks down cultural things like mm-hmm. movies, things like that, TV shows. Uh, and he talked about him and his wife talked about the Harry Potter series, yeah. And they were just so wrong about a lot of it. Oh god! That I was just like, I can't. I mean, and I have a lot of respect for Jay Dyer. He's a super smart guy uh, who come, you know, puts out a lot of really good content. But the Harry Potter stuff, I was just like, you know, you're just wrong about a lot of this mm. shit, man. Um, so that was frustrating. Yeah. Although I, I think my appreciation for Harry Potter is. I used to say that Tolkien is the king of fantasy mm-hmm. and that Harry Potter, or I'm sorry, J.K. Rowling is like behind him but not by much and I don't really believe that anymore. It's pretty, the gap is pretty big. Tolkien was like something else, man. Oh, yeah. He was like a... Well, it, it just depends on what measuring stick you're using Yeah. because there's ways in which Tolkien's world is far more um, intricate and flushed out and uh, and hard created mm-hmm. than Rowling's was but Rowling's had far greater appeal and how do you how do you did it oh yes like if you I don't know what the statistics are but I would say if you were to look at how many people the world over historically have read Harry Potter it's more than Tolkien even though Tolkien's been around since the 40s or 20s or whatever Maybe it was. Maybe that might be true. I, I like honestly don't have a hard time believing that that is true, but I also would not be surprised if that's not true because Tolkien, the Lord of the Rings series, was and has been and is still massive. It is massive. It is massive. But Tolkien never got a 10-year-old to read a 1,000-page book. I don't think that's true. I think that Tolkien did get 10-year-olds to read those books. Oh, uh, boy. Um, well... They're not a thousand pages. First of all, the the Hobbit they're, and they're long ass. They're long ass books. Long-ass books. Yeah. Um, the Hobbit is the most. Um, what's the word uh, of of the Lord of the Rings? Like the Lord of the Rings are in a different category. The Hobbit is way more of a children's story. Yeah, he you, wrote it specifically for children. It, right. Yeah. Rowling did too. So I think that I think that the, I think that. I think that a kid sitting down to read Harry Potter. 
is going to have an easier time getting sucked into that universe than than the Lord of the Rings. Maybe not the Hobbit, but the Lord of the Rings. But I think I think that more than the Hobbit, man. Maybe um, I think that when Harry Potter came out, you're definitely correct. Um, I think that back when Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit came out, though, I think that that was like fantasy and that that was interesting to kids and they didn't have Harry Potter yet to like make it more, even more accessible. You True. Know what I mean, but I think accessible is the word that I was looking for. I think that, I think that Rowling had an, a leg up on Tolkien as far as accessibility. Maybe I see. I think that Tolkien benefited from the time. You know what I mean? Because he didn't have to be as accessible because people were different back then. Hmm. You know, they didn't have the access to, all of this stuff that was like more easily digestible. Uh, right. So what they had was Tolkien. Yeah. I would like to know the the book selling stats between the Lord of the Rings series and Harry Potter. Yeah, it's a good question. But um, even but even the book sales, I, I I wonder how you would quantify the the number of people who simply have read it. That's what I want to know. I mean, yeah. books book sales is probably your best proxy, but yeah, not not entirely. And also. Audiobooks is a whole different dynamic because a lot of people listen to books now. True. Uh, obviously, they're listening to Tolkien now too. But, yeah. um, but uh, you know, Harry Potter was like right on the beginning of that, where it, it would have been easier for kids to consume or even adults to consume those books because they don't, they weren't required to read them. They just listen to them. You know, if you factor in audiobook listens, I wonder. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I do. At the end of the day, though, I do think that Tolkien is, you know, significantly better, especially just in terms of like even the writing, you know, the actual words on the page, the prose or whatever yeah. you want to say. Yeah. Um, there's just some like really moving stuff in Tolkien. Yeah, yeah. Tolkien, Tolkien has uh, integrated a great amount of uh, European mythology into those stories, which is something that you can't exactly say for Rowling. Now, there's very, like, appealing qualities to what Rowling did, using a lot of, like, Roman names, first of all, like a lot of Latin names. That was cool. Um, you know, what she did with the Latin spells is cool. But compare that to Elvish, which Tolkien invented, night and day. I mean, like, to come up with a, you know, a handful of 12 different Latin names for spells is not the same thing as coming up with a writing system and a, and a language that t that Tolkien can give to the elves. I mean, that's that's tremendous. Yeah. And so I heard that all the stories that Tolkien wrote is, you know, he was a philologist. He was a, a linguist um, by trade. I think he would taught English at uh what you know one of those like Cambridge or one of those universities okay. over there. Yeah. Um, and he invented these languages and the stories that he wrote were like you know stories to explain the the uh the development of these languages oh that's very cool it's interesting it is very cool that's an interesting way of writing a book you know yeah yeah he's a you know he's incredible um he was also buddies with c.s lewis yeah and he was also incredible yeah i I lean more towards Tolkien a little bit than C. I mean, don't get me wrong. C.S. Lewis is fucking awesome, but I definitely like Tolkien more. I think. So I don't have as much exposure to these other people, but there are fantasy authors 
hugely, hugely popular fantasy authors like Neil Gaiman and Robert Jordan and Anne McCaffrey and people like that, um, that I wonder how they how they compare to Tolkien and, and Rowling and C.S. Lewis and those people. Yeah, I've never read any of I, I I've read a little bit of a Neil Gaiman book uh, about the... So what I'm looking for? The people, I don't know. People up north... The like Viking type people, Norse, Norse, the Norse <laughs> mythology. Uh, he did like a, a novelization of the, oh, the Norse myths. Yeah, remember, that's that's it. Remember when uh, Anne Rice did her books about Jesus? Vaguely, she had a Catholic her Catholic spell, and then she went back to being an atheist before she died. Pretty Man, sure she should have stuck with it, dude. Yeah, it's just a couple more years, she could have been in heaven. Yeah, you know, it's a shame. <laughs> now she's down there in hell with her vampires. <laughs> so it's interesting what you said about Jay Dyer uh, about. Because if you don't know what's true when he's talking about um, Catholicism and Orthodoxy and Islam, whatever, when he's talking about those religious things, if you don't have the knowledge to question what he's saying, his arguments can be compelling, especially because he's, he's a very smart guy, but also the way he, the way he talks is convincing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but you hear him talk about Harry Potter when you have a different opinion, and you're like, this... I'm not. I don't know about this guy. Yeah. So I wonder. I wonder if that would color your opinion of him. It's been a while since I listened to it, but I think it was not necessarily opinion type stuff. It was just like it was like factual. Oh no! You know? yeah, Even yeah. worse. Like, yeah, what are you talking about, dude? Even worse. Yeah. So mm. I have a list of things I wanted to bring to you last week. I don't know if you want to jump into it, but let's go. One. Of, so one of the things I I mentioned was that I was seeing a lot of signs cultural signs that the um, uh, culture war and the woke stuff that we've been dealing with for the last four or five years, I don't know if it's been quite that long, but definitely since uh, the last couple, it's all wrapped up. Um, There's been signs that that stuff's starting to wane, you know? So we had like a whole series of things. We had we had the Me Too and the Black Lives Matter, and, and there's just been a whole, a whole wave after wave of cultural... Um, uh, tension, you know, and I'm starting to see signs that things are easing up. And then last week, when we when I had to cancel on you, all the a lot of the stuff was a little bit more relevant. Over the past week, there's been efforts by the media at at, at a minimum. There's been efforts by the media to downplay some of it, which is the Kanye stuff so that I want to talk about a little bit. Uh, I have to also it's say, now. I have to also say that uh, I, I used to give Kanye a little bit of a hard time because my only reference when somebody brought up Kanye was what he did to Taylor Swift at the music awards. Yeah. I just thought this guy is such a schmuck. Yeah. Um, and I, and I wasn't, I didn't listen to the music, so I didn't have any other way of like, that was my only de- datum for, uh, understanding Kanye. Anyway, um, lately he's been very different. Kanye, he's been, he's been, uh, kind of interesting, you know, and did I, did you see him on Tucker? A little, yeah, a little. It's pretty good. I mean, dudes all over the place, but. So I wrote I wrote down some things. I want to go through the, some of these, and uh, maybe we can talk about some. The first one, maybe we already talked about, but Tulsi Gabbard uh, leaving the Democratic Party. Yeah, uh, she made that announcement. She encouraged other Democrats to leave with her, and then she went on the biggest podcast in the world and said it again. Yeah. What do you think of that? Um. I think it's maybe a good sign, but I also think that 
Tulsi leaving is like less impactful than I don't know. Obviously, Nancy Pelosi leaving would sure. be like, like <laughs> that would be crazy. But um, you know, Tulsi was kind of already on the outside. She wasn't even in any, any elected office anymore. Um, but it's symbolically still. It's symbolic, right? It's still it symbolically symbolic. significant. Yeah, it is. Um, I'm, I don't know. Well, I she just, like she's somebody that was on Joe's podcast before. She ran for president before. She had she had the support of Joe, which is not nothing to shake a stick at. True. And uh, and she had um, she was seen as a uh, intelligent and moderate Democrat um, that had broad appeal. A military lady, a uh, woman of color, as they like to say on the left. Um, she, she was checking lots of boxes, and yet they, they didn't give her the time of day, which is another one of those things that is hard to explain. Um, but she's left the party, encouraged other people to leave the party, and on top of that, she's now camp- campaigning, helping to campaign with certain Republicans. Which Republicans? That information I don't know, but uh, that's all really interesting to me, man. Yeah. I'll be interested to see which Republicans. Um, um, yeah. Uh, because that will tell me a lot. If it's, um, like, it's not going to be. This is, like, probably too good to be true, but if it was, like, Rand Paul. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Can you imagine? You know, Thomas Massey, that would be cool. Yeah. Um, but it's not. It's going to be like, it's going to be fucking Dan Crenshaw or something, who is the worst. You think so? Oh, my God. <laughs> Dan Crenshaw sucks, dude. He's, yeah, I hate Dan Crenshaw. That That's a strong term, but I mean it. I don't, I don't, I don't remember like much that he said that ever like really rubbed me the wrong way. He's not, he's not a war hawk, is he? Oh, yeah, of course he is. Why well, he was a military guy, but yeah. I don't know if he was like a. No, he's not a good one. Nah. Which is why if he, if. So Tulsi has been the kind of like reach out, you know, like I'll, you know, I'm moderate, you know, I'll talk to Republicans. And I feel like Crenshaw is kind of like that a little bit too. Like he is, um, yeah, yeah, I just don't like that guy. That's basically where I land on. Okay. He's got an eye patch. Man, the man, the man has an eye patch. He does have an eye patch. All right. How about this? Here's another article that I saw the other day. Federal judges refuse to hire Yale grads after, after after they protested a free speech event. So you have Yale grads who need these internships with these federal judges. They're prestigious positions that will lead you into a life of success. And these Ivy League kids at one of the best schools in the country made a fuss to all these judges as, a, as activism. And these judges are like, wait a minute. How am I supposed to hire law clerks who don't believe in free speech? And then they just won't hire you anymore. And they're and they publicly are saying we're not gonna hire Yale grads. That's awesome. Fuck Yale. It's awesome. Because because of course, if a if a law student doesn't believe in free speech, they can't up, they cannot uphold the Constitution. You know? Mm-hmm. And if the most prestigious law schools in the United States are teaching law students to not to not honor the Constitution, that is a Huge problem. True. Seems like a step in the right direction. Interesting, man. I feel like that could not have happened a year ago. Maybe. If the federal judges say we're not hiring Yale students a year ago, it would be a huge issue. It would be a huge, huge... I mean, maybe they still could have done it, but it would have been a huge deal. Yeah. 
You don't think it is a huge deal now? Oh, I think it's a huge deal, I suppose. So what's what's the I, difference between now and then, then? Well, it's whether I think it's a huge deal or whether the media thinks it's a huge deal. Oh. A year ago, there would have been an uproar from liberals saying, you know, this is a tra- this is a travesty of justice. Why do you think there isn't? Why do you think the news isn't trying to push that? Because I think the tide is turning. That's what yeah. this is all about. So we've talked about Tulsi leaving the party. We've talked about the federal judges saying these woke law students are a existential danger to freedom and democracy, which is the truth. Then you have Kanye and Candace Owens coming out in their White Lives Matter shirts. Now, I don't know the full story. I just saw the picture. Do you know the context surrounding that? They were at some kind of like fashion thing in Europe, somewhere in Europe. Oh, you were in Europe. Yeah. And uh, they had that shirt on, White Lives Matter. And the front of it had a picture of Pope John Paul. Oh, I didn't know. Um, you know, I don't. I, I think it was John Paul II, the the most recent John Paul. Mm-hmm. You know, before um, the yeah the uh, Ratzinger, yeah, whatever Benedict. Um, and you know, Pope John Paul II. I think it was, or yeah, I think it's John Paul II. Either way, that guy, the one from Poland, that everyone seemed to like. You mm-hmm. know, uh, he's he's got like. Um, I don't know, like a kind of a, a reputation, um, just of being a good pope. Yeah, um, yeah, I was, I would agree with that. So I just think it's funny that they chose him to put on there, and it said the front of it, I guess, in addition to the picture of him, it said, "We will follow your example." I like that. Um, so that's interesting. You yeah. know, we only saw the white people or white, white lives, lives matter. matter. Yeah. yeah, that's true. That's interesting. Um, but it's also interesting. It's like uh, I don't know if a white person could wear that shirt without getting ridiculed or doxxed or suffer some consequences. I don't think a white person on the street or in, or in public life could wear that shirt a year ago. Maybe not even today. But Kanye and Candace are black, and they were able to do it, and I think that is awesome because it's obviously true, and there's no difference between Kanye wearing a White Lives Matter shirt and some Midwest grandma wearing an All Lives Matter shirt because she doesn't want to get wrapped into the BLM stuff. Um, it's it, But, like I said, there's a line, there's a social line right now that's hard to fucking define that a white person could never make that protest. And Kanye did, and I have to respect him for that, man, because he's 100% right. All lives do matter, and we can't pretend like black lives don't, and we can't pretend that white lives don't, and people are trying to do both, and it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, acting like a particular group of people's lives don't matter, it's a dangerous thing to do, you know? Like, you run the risk of those people, I don't know, uh, retaliating? Yes, you also run the risk of dehumanizing them, and, and, and that opens the door for all. It opened the, See, that's the thing, man. When you dehumanize it's a population... Heavy, bro. It reminds me of what um, I've heard people say about the Vietnam War. Um, they said that, they said that I can't remember, man, what, where this comes from, but it was a something I remember. So I'll just I'll just put it with a grain of salt. That said that um, when during warfare, when people are fighting people that look like them, Europeans versus Europeans, let's say, it's much more difficult for people to kill. But when they don't look like you, like uh, Europeans over there fighting, um, you know, the Vietnamese that there's a little bit less resistance to it. And you can make it 
you can make it even less resistance by dehumanizing them on purpose, by calling them Kong, you know, by making them not individuals, by pretending that they're not even human. And that's what you do when you dehumanize people. Yeah. You make them something that you can kill. You make you make them something that you can um, that that is expendable, and that's exactly what happened in the Holocaust. And we're pretending like the white hate that's going on in our country right now isn't doing exactly the same dehumanizing. Th- it, and you can see it. You can see all the violence that's that's you know taking place right now. People getting punched out in the subway. People getting uh, shot. People getting there's all kinds of shit happening on the on the grounds of racism now. And uh, that's evidence that we're following the same path fucking, you know, that happened in the Third Reich. We're following the same path that happened in uh, the Vietnam conflict. It's terrible. Yeah, it's definitely not good. So Um, good for you, Kanye and Candace Owens. Yeah, I like Kanye. Kanye is, uh, I've liked Kanye for a long time. Um, That Taylor Swift thing, first of all, fuck Taylor Swift. I mean, you know. (laughs) What do you mean? What do you mean? What do I mean? Taylor Swift is the best. <laughs> I, I listen. I'm not a fan of pop music, but Taylor Swift has been doing it since she's a kid. She okay. plays her own instruments. She writes her own songs. Nobody does that. She's a ta- and she's beautiful. She's a talented human being. I, Full I mean, stop. I guess. Yeah. Sure. I, I just don't. What she does doesn't move me at all. Um, does it you? Are you like rocking out to Taylor Swift? I listen. I've only ever heard uh, the popular songs. I'm not like I, I've only ever heard whatever's on the radio. Never disliked a Taylor Swift song. Never, not once. There's a difference between disliking some, not disliking something, and enjoying it. Yes. Do you enjoy Taylor Swift? I, I have enjoyed a Taylor Swift song or two, and plus, my girls love Taylor Swift, and that That's it, it adds a dynamic to it. But I still, even without that, think that Taylor Swift is a talented artist. Sure, sure. Uh, I would say that Taylor Swift is a talented artist uh, in a lot of ways, and she deserves her fame and fortune. I think. Well, I don't, I don't begrudge her her fame or fortune. I just don't. This like let's all walk on eggshells and be like sensitive about Taylor Swift and. Like, uh, is that, like, is that with, a thing with Kanye? Well, with the Kanye oh, oh, oh. thing, it's like I just don't really care that he did that. Like, I don't. I mean, I just don't think it's who cares. Well, I, the reason I cared at the time is because it was rude. Because it was, yeah. it was so rude. See a black guy treat a white lady like that? <laughs> no, like, no, no, Get no. The fuck out of here. He was not invited. He was guy. not invited on stage. It was not his time. He inserted himself. And because why you have to be very entitled to think that you can just insert yourself into this public uh, show that's on the air and then and then say some be- begrudging shit about the lady that just won the award and then say publicly it should have been another lady and it all came off as very racist because it was a white lady who won the award Kanye who comes up and says it should have been Beyonce do you still perceive it that way after um, current events, I don't, I don't know if it's. It, I don't think it was fair then to assume, nor is it fair now to assume that was the case. But it seemed that way to me at the time. I was like, "What the fuck?" Um, it just seemed like arrogant and uh, and what's the word? Um, there's another word I'm trying to look for. I just couldn't believe the balls on that guy. Well, I mean, it is Kanye we're talking about. Dude's got balls. It was like it was like similar to what Will Smith did. You know, 
walking up on stage and slapping Chris Rock. Does seeing how Kanye is behaving now make you understand more? Like you said, it takes balls to do that. Yeah. Like this, this guy has balls. He's got balls. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> for I sure, in some ways, like him doing that to Taylor Swift was like he had an opinion that Beyonce was better, and I'll go out on a limb and say that I agree with that. I don't like. I mean, I'm not like a huge Beyonce fan or anything, mm-hmm. um, but I think that I have enjoyed more Beyonce music than I have mm-hmm. Taylor Swift music. I don't know. And I do think that there's like some kind of like um, juice that Beyonce has yeah. that uh, Taylor Swift, I don't think has. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think uh, they're both very talented. I think um, this is a silly conversation now, but I think that Beyonce may have a more powerful voice than Taylor Swift. Yeah. Um, I don't know that Beyonce writes her music. She definitely doesn't play an instrument or write her beats. I don't know that she doesn't play an instrument, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say she doesn't. That's just I'm just going to do maybe, that right here publicly. I don't maybe, think she does. I wouldn't be surprised at all if she does. She's a better singer. She's got a better voice, and sure. she's you know she's a beautiful lady. Just like you know Taylor's a beautiful lady, but they're both beautiful ladies. You know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if we're talking physical looks, I would definitely lean more towards Beyonce too. But uh, I mean, yeah, Taylor Swift is pretty. But all right, hold on, there's more on this list. All right, all right. So we got White Lives Matter, we got Tulsi Gabbard, we got the Yelgrads, Kanye and Candace Owens, White Life Matters. You have to understand though, like the reason we're digging into that is because I do think that there's like elements of Kanye's personality that are present in the things that he's doing today that were there in that too. I could see that now. I could see that. Yeah. Um, because I know nothing about Kanye, and I just like lots of people with popular um, like there, figures. We 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 treat them like they're not complex. There humans. were words we that make you assumptions. used to describe Kanye: entitled and mm-hmm. arrogant, mm-hmm. and so. And I think that Kanye is all of those things. Yeah. But I think that they're like almost like positive attributes. Entitled is never positive. No, I think it um, is. I think I don't think. I so. think that all. I think that all. I think that American culture from day one is entitled. I think that we are all entitled. Well, I don't disagree with you, but I don't think that's good. No, I think it is good. In what way, dude? We are entitled to our, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Why do you have? Why do I have guns? Because I'm fucking entitled yeah. to them. Correct. You have go fuck off. You Correct. Know? Yeah, you're entitled. Take to, a walk. You're entitled to those things. You're not entitled to insert yourself where you're where you weren't invited. You're not. You're not entitled to um, something you didn't earn. You're not entitled to. I mean, okay, but I just don't understand how, like Kanye going up there and saying that it's like, what does that have to do with not earning it? Kanye, I would assume that Kanye believed that he was important enough as an artist and as a public figure that he that his inserting himself in a place where he didn't belong was not only acceptable, it was desirable. He, and he made that determination all on his own yeah. for America. Yeah, I think he was right. <laughs> I don't. I, yeah. Because that was my only was my only view of Kanye, um, because like I said, I didn't listen to his music. To me, it made a terrible first impression. Yeah. Terrible. I think one of the biggest problems in, our, in society today is that we lack respect and politeness. People don't obey the rules. People don't feel like they owe you any uh, honor or respect. And it's it's a very big problem, and celebrities are the worst among them because they because they are conditioned to think that they actually are. See, it's like there's something that I would call confidence that 
we might be mixing up with the word arrogance right now. Okay. Right? If you say that Kanye is legitimately such a good artist and such a novel thinker that his contributions to that or any or any topic are valuable, that he could confidently insert himself because he legitimately has something to add to to the story. There's a way of seeing that as confident, and there's a way of seeing that as arrogant. And one way, confident, might be a positive. Arrogant, in my opinion, never is. I don't know where yeah. the... There's a, lot, a very fine line there, yeah. and I don't know where it is. Yeah, so I think that... You know, you said that Kanye made this determination all on his own, and that's true. Uh, but I do think that in that world, uh, you know, it was like a music award show... Mm-hmm. Um, that I think that Kanye does. I think that he's, I mean, he's not supposed to, obviously. That's not, you know, in the award show, you're not supposed to run up there. But I think that his opinion does matter. And I just don't, I, like, at the end of the day, it's a fucking music award show. It's not important at all. That's and, a slippery slope, dude, to say that. Why? Because because the next time, it's just an award show. Then you say, it's just a political campaign. It's just a debate. It's just the, you know, whatever. It, you're going to make excuses for the behavior. I'm not okay with that. I'm more conservative than you when it comes to that. Okay. I don't know. Like you, you seem to be okay with parsing out a segment of culture or society and saying that Kanye has special permission in this realm. I don't. I'm like, don't, you play by the rules everywhere, every time. And if no, you don't, don't fuck off. That. No, I don't agree with that. Um, I think that I don't know. I, I yeah. I think that on some level, it's like some people do have special, you know, special rules and special privileges. There's some Ayn Randian shit in there that I'm like having trouble totally brushing off. Yeah. Because sometimes you have to break the rules because sometimes the rules are stifling. I'm not even talking about in a moralistic sense necessarily. Me either. I'm talking about that. That's just the way things are. It's it's progress. I'm not talking about moralistic necessarily, but like. Somebody, I'm just thinking of an Ayn Rand hero. Somebody like that is like what, what we're talking about with Kanye. So you, you would call them arrogant. You would call them confident. You would call them uh, um, entitled sure. and presumptive of their role in the niche that they cut out for themselves. I'm the king of this niche. Uh, you know, I'm making reared and steel, bitch. This is my niche. I do think that uh, there's something to that entitled thing, though. That something we, positive? Yes. Listen, I, I know, I, I agree with what you say when you say we're entitled to life, liberty, liberty and property, liberty. or life, liberty, and happiness, pursuit of happiness. I agree with that, that entitled doesn't seem like a bad word there, um, but entitled like in the, in the terms of entitlements, like when I think of things that people think that, that they deserve just because somebody is um, um, compassionate enough to offer it to you, it doesn't mean you're entitled to it, motherfucker. You know, if you didn't earn it, it's like in the in most of human existence, if you didn't earn it, you died. You starved and you died. Yeah. You know, but now if you don't earn it, there's an, enough resources and enough compassion that people will will take care of you to a certain degree. And people think that they are entitled to that after a while. And that is a dangerous, dangerous proposition. Sure. So um, that's that's the side of entitlement I'm talking about. Right I think now. that entitlement also like pushes people 
to attain things. You know what I mean? It's like I'm entitled to that, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take it. You know what I mean? I do, but you 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 act like that's a good thing. I do think it's a good because thing. I think that to say, to to say you're entitled to life, liberty, and property, I'm with you. I'm like defend that shit. But to say I'm entitled to almost anything else, I'm like you're being presumptive. You're stealing. You're stealing. You're you're doing the that cuckoo bird strategy. I don't think that, that follows you're, all the time. Not all the time, but even in a situation like this is a rough a rough topic. But even in a situation where we're talking about public welfare, okay, there are instances where every citizen in this country would agree that if you have a little old lady who worked hard her whole life and ended up um, in poverty and old age, that she should be taken care of. If if she doesn't have family, let's say to do it, that we have a social obligation to take care of her and. I don't think there's a soul that would agree in that disagree in that situation that that's that that's wrong. Um, but we all know that there are people who abuse that, and that's the type of entitlement that I. It's, it's that that's an, an illustration of that lie, cheat, and steal survival strategy. Like I am going to be a leech on the system rather than work, even though I could. I I know what you mean, but I. I think there's something to the idea that entitlement is what changed. Because you could call them rights. You don't have to call them entitlement, what you're talking about. I guess. I mean. (laughs) Inalienable rights. I think that a sense of entitlement is what pushed people to change things. You know what I mean? It's like I'm entitled to better than this. You know what I mean? I don't. I, I don't think so. I don't think. Yeah. I don't think I would call it entitled. I think I would call that wishing. Everybody's wishing for a better life. Everyone's wishing for. No, I think that people feel like in a like uh, a state of you know I don't know like nature mm-hmm. that they would be able to have better if uh, there weren't certain things, you know, certain trends and forces pushing them you know, downward, that they would be able to have more and that they're entitled to that more. Yeah, I disagree, man. Yeah. I I just don't think, uh, I think you're entitled to your shot to attain what you want. You're entitled to a shot, but you're not entitled to what you want. You're entitled to a shot to, 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 to get it for yourself. But it doesn't come without effort, and that's what I take I issue with. If you have it, if you can get it, you're entitled to it, basically. Ooh, dude. It's funny, because sometimes you bring up philosophical ideas like you just did that are uh, interesting. Years ago, you know, we would talk about like practical anarchy on this show, and that's something like what we're talking about now. Because what, what you're talking about is, um, what's that guy, uh, the, the Leviathan, uh, Thomas Hobbes? And he said exactly what you said. He said that in a state of nature, um, might makes right, basically. He said, if you can take something, if you can, then you can. It's not about right or wrong. It's if you can, then do it. Because that's what nature says. If you have the power, if you have the ability to, 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 to do or have something. See, I think that there's truth in that, but I don't think that you can throw right and wrong out. I don't think, like... I think that if you can, you can, 
but there might be consequences to that that have negative effects for you. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, yes. So. No, I agree with that. Even, uh, see, Tom, Thomas Hobbes' explanation was that you have, if you have the power to do something, then then that that's it within your, your realm of, of right, you know? Um, but you give up those rights with, with the social contract. So that's where that comes in. He says, if you want to live together with other people and you want to have peace then you have to say, look, even though I can smash you and steal your shit and, and your wife, I'm going to not do that as long as you promise not to do it to me or anyone else and we can live together under those rules. So you give up your natural right to take what you fucking want and can yeah. um, in exchange for peace and cooperation. Um, the, go ahead. No, uh, go I was ahead. just going to say the problem with that is is that you give up your right to do that a lot of other people don't give up their right to do that. Yep. And they just like throw a cloak on it of, you know, I don't know, you know, state violence, whatever, you know, a lot, there's lots of cloaks that people put on it sure. to make it okay for yeah. them and not for you. But, but see, that's, that's the thing. It's like, that's why I'm so s stringent on following the rules because you're right. There are people while everybody else is following the rules who choose not to. And now they have an advantage over everybody else who's following the rules because they've chosen the lie, ste cheat, and steal strategy, the cuckoo bird strategy. Yeah. I'm going to lay my eggs in your nest and make you fucking raise my kids. Um, that is a, is dishonorable, man. And there's, especially in our country, a little bit of room for some dishonor. There's a little bit of room in the system for a little dishonor because so many people are doing the right thing. So many people are noble that there's a little bit of padding for the assholes. And that that's okay for a while, but not forever. Yeah. And the more people see the assholes have more than me and they do nothing, the more people go over to the asshole side. And then at some point, the whole house of cards comes tipping over. Yeah. And uh, that's why I'm such so stringent about the idea that, uh, even in the perspective of the social contract, that everybody needs to obey, obey the rules, at the minimum amount of rules. So there's part of me that agrees with you. Um there's a big part of me that agrees with you, but there's also a part of me that thinks that if you're up against an opponent who's not playing by the rules, if you choose to handcuff yourself by playing by the rules, you're going to lose. True. But that don't you see how that upsets this it upsets the equilibrium of it's like why have a system if you're only pretending that you're giving up rights to have a social contract? Because if somebody doesn't do it and you say, Oh, the rules are out the window, so I don't have to obey them any then the whole society comes crumbling down. I just think I, part of me almost thinks that the way to avoid this is to have stricter punishments for breaking the rules. I like, um, uh, what's the dude's name we talk about? From, uh, Molyneux. I like Molyneux's uh, solution. Yeah. If you break the rules, then you don't get to participate in the society anymore. Yeah. You can still live here, but you can't take the bus. You can't buy groceries. You can't buy insurance. You, you, you can't work anymore. You're, you're excommunicado, bro. you got to find a new place to be. I do. There is part of me that likes that too. But also, if that was coming from like a top-down thing, that's authoritarian as fuck. That's like... But you remember that conversation we had about law versus social, um, social um, yes. rules? Yeah. The social rules are way more effective. Mm -hmm. you don't have, it doesn't have to be law. It doesn't have to be top-down. You could say, look, you've broken the rules... Now you're marked. And it's not the law and, and the government saying we're going to force you to leave by gunpoint. At, me as a private business owner is going to say, oh, you're one of them assholes. You know, find a new store to shop at. Are you one of those assholes? Find a new fucking hotel to sleep in. 
And uh, that's enough. The social pressure is enough to demand a certain level of behavior. Do you think that that's kind of what corporations and stuff are doing now, only to different ends? Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're degree. pushing us towards, in America, in the West, I should say, these giant corporations, and it trickles on down to like mom and pop shops, are pushing an agenda of progressivism. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a peer pressure thing, but yeah. And, and more than that in some cases, you know, like I was afraid, I was afraid for a while that I might lose my job because of the vaccine, the COVID vaccine for a long time. It's a word that you're not supposed to say on YouTube. Just so you know, you can't say it. Isn't that fucked up? Not even if you're talking positively it about it. Up, well, I mean, if you're talking positively about oh, it, jeez. um, yeah, no, like there's all kinds of words. Like I'll watch certain people and they'll spell words instead of saying them out. Jeez, man. Yeah. <sighs> that guy Jay Dyer is actually pretty big on that. Like there's certain words that he won't say on oh, his wow. YouTube stream for wow. fear of demonetization, which we don't have to worry we about. We don't have that. to worry about that. <laughs> maybe uh, someday. Yeah, maybe, maybe. You know, you have to get like uh, 100 subscribers before. Like, so if you go to like Joe Rogan's YouTube, it's like youtube.com slash JRE or something mm. like that. Uh, you have to have 100 followers before you can do that. Before that, it's just like random. Mm, interesting. There's like all kinds of like follower count things. I think maybe 1,000 is where you can do monetization. Oh, interesting. So subscribe. <laughs> subscribe to, uh, we got to find out that information to put on. You yeah, know. we totally, yeah. We, yeah, we, get, we should be more prepared. Well, you know, we're just getting started. So I, I want to get through this list. There's a lot more here. But before I do, I want to say um, the whole thing about power uh, Jordan Peterson d uh, tells a story over and over again, so I want to bring it up. It, so there's a, a lot of parallels that you can bridge between human culture and other great apes like bonobos and chimpanzees and stuff that live similar, similarly to us. So in social pods and, and uh, you know, with high levels of intelligence and all that sort of thing. And what he says is that there are big, strong chimps that will take over and become dominant because they're the biggest and the strongest and they get all the chimp ladies and they get all the best food and all that stuff right and he, and jordan says that in nature when they watch these chimp organizations that there are times where those um leader chimps will get uh they'll get too big for their britches and sometimes they will they'll be aggressive they'll they'll take it too far uh and what will happen is the juvenile men they will band together and they will kill the big chimp. So even though the big chimp can one on one fuck fuck everybody up in the in the whole in the whole uh, community, they they will uh, get together these younger smaller chimps and they'll just eat eat the eat the tyrant chimp's face off. Um, so that's also a solution to the problem in human culture. You know, if somebody eat, eat each other's faces, each, yeah. If somebody if somebody uh, becomes too much of a tyrant, you eat their face. You eat, yeah, you eat their faces off. Um, but that seems a little bit contrary to the social uh, contract. You know, it's it like it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Maybe there's more than two choices, but the social contract I think is kind of flimsy. To be honest with you, um, it's doing a good, it's doing a surprisingly good job. That being said. I think it's hanging on by a thread, you know. Does seem that way. All right, let's let's keep reading here. Um, oh, Kanye on Tucker. So I have Kanye on go. Tucker, um, only because 
what one of the things he said was getting some particular heat. Yeah, uh, one thing. Yeah, so maybe you know more. But he said, Kanye said to Tucker on Fox News, which is, by the way, uh, got more viewership than any of the other major news networks. Big audience, right? He says that more black babies oh, yeah. are, are aborted in New York City every year than are born in New York City every year. It's a, it's a woman's right, dude. Who the fuck are you to, to cast aspersions? I mean, listen, I don't know what to make of the statistic, but it doesn't seem good. It doesn't seem good, man. Yeah, it's fucked up. I'm laughing because it's, to me, what you're saying is so obviously true that it's fucking terrifying and appalling and heartbreaking that over 50% of black babies are murdered by their mothers. That's fucked up, you know? But for you to say that publicly... yeah. That makes you all kinds of like yeah. mean words. You're right. You know, you know you're a misogynist. Yep. You're a racist, probably somehow. Could even any, though you don't want the black babies to die. Could anyone other than Kanye have said it? Um. Yeah, I think a lot of other people could have said it. I just think that it gets a lot more. Uh, people say it all the time, but Kanye said it, and he's Kanye, and he said it on Tucker, so it gets like really out there. Yeah. But people say that shit all the time. But, let, me, um, let me ask you something difficult, and this is going to sound maybe conspiracy theorist-like, but I'm not trying to. I'm just asking a uh, hypothetical-like um, question here, like a New World Order type of question on this. Do you, do you think... Oh, God, how do I say this? Do you think that a statistic like that, that half of the half of the would-be um, black children in New York City were, were aborted before they were born. Do you think the goal of keeping abortion access um, freely available, widely available, free, all that stuff, because it seems like it impacts, I don't know if this is true, but just, because, just based on the media, it seems like it may impact black, the black community more than other ethnic groups, like more black babies are being killed. Maybe maybe I'm wrong, but no, in New you're York... Not, you're not wrong. In New York, that definitely seems to be the case. Do you think that there might be a political aim that goes something like this? If... Oh, God, it's going to sound... If, as a minority group, um, black people and other minority groups have a certain level of uh, special status or uh, protection or whatever, you know, that we afford to minority groups, that intentionally limiting the population to keep you a minority group might not be intentionally done to stay in power. Meaning, if too many minorities are born, they won't be minorities anymore. And then they won't have the protections of a minority group. And you won't have the narrative of Minority versus majority, that sort of thing. Do you think that's reaching too far? Um, I don't know if it's reaching too far. Uh, it's an interesting thought. Um, I wouldn't put anything past them, to be honest with you. Uh, I also think that the abortion thing, that may be 
a particular truth in the black community with abortion, but I kind of think that abortion in general is just uh, another play in the, you know, the depopulation playbook. Mm. The, uh, I mean, it's just so many of these people have been... Lots of these people who are involved in, like, New World Order type uh, schemes have open statements about them thinking that the world has got too many people on it. That's true, yeah. And they all do creepy shit like this, like trying to, you know, like pushing abortion. Like the amount of people who think that the world, who were openly saying, I think the world is overpopulated. I think we're on the way towards a real problem with overpopulation. Mm. The amount of those people who supported things like abortion and were like directly involved with, the, you know, the creation of and the normalization of abortion, it's fucking crazy, mm. man. Like they're just... They're not playing their cards close to their chest at all. It, ma- it makes you wonder if the uh, predicted food shortages and starvation um, doom and gloom in Europe is part of it. Part of that, like, c- c- I don't know. Can you imagine that government at the highest level might say, "Look, population is uh, a problem, and people are going to have to die. Let's figure out how to make this happen so that it's the least." You know, it doesn't it doesn't come back on us. And let's let's start some wars. Let's let's starve some people. Let's get abort. Let's get abortions. Get you know some what viruses I mean? going. Yeah, let's get some viruses going. I don't know, man. That's uh, obviously very uh, very uh, speculative, but interesting. Yeah. All right, all right here we go. Um, oh, Congress expected to to change uh, for, during the midterms, so for, uh, they're expecting a Republican majority to take take over Congress. So that's also a sign, right, that things are moving uh, yeah. in a different direction. Um, how about the uh, Vanderbilt? Remember we were talking about the, um, we played that video of that lady at Van- Vanderbilt talking about how much money the gender reassignment surgeries oh, yeah. are making them. Uh, they have not, Vanderbilt's, Vanderbilt has now, at least temporarily, stopped doing gender reassignment surgeries nice. as a consequence of the... Good. That's yeah. great. So that, that's that. Um. Also, we had conservative prime ministers being elected. Um, well, we already talked about that. So uh, in Italy, and then Liz Truss, who's who's obviously out the window now, uh, in, in the UK. Um, there was a video. Uh, did you hear it? Um, Obama coming out talking about as gay. No, oh. um, he was talking I thought about the big mic rumors were going to be confirmed. Um, I actually have the video. Um, he's t- he was talking about he was talking about how um, I'm trying to remember what he said exactly. Oh, he said that the Democrats are are buzzkills, buzzkillingtons. Yes, the Democrats he said today. That, yeah, that, yeah, that their that their decision to focus on divisive things. You know what I mean? Give me a fucking break. First of all, Barack Obama was like the most divisive president in the history. I I mean I know that things are divisive now, but it all started with Barack. I agree. I agree. So fuck him. First of all, not yeah. that I'm defending the Democrats, yeah. but I just don't like when people are giant fucking hypocrites. Yep. So, Barack Obama, the big mic rumor is true, I think, probably. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the a- the AOC stuff, uh, her being shut down in public uh, public um, yeah. town halls, it's happened more than once now. She's, she's getting a bunch of her supporters publicly yelling at her. Um, that seems like a sign of, of a changing tide. AOC represents... What if AOC becomes a Republican? <laughs> she would never, she would never. Uh, let's never see. say um, never. Oh, then the, there's the stuff about uh, the 
uh, Pelosi's husband uh, in, in uh, insider trading that's kind of picking up steam. Yeah. The uh, Hunter Biden uh, laptop stuff, that we're starting to see that again. I don't know if that's ever going to go anywhere, but just the fact that it's not being like quashed seems like something. Then we got Bill Maher, who's regularly um, criticizing the left now. He's regularly doing it. Yeah. Um, and he's like the OG lefty guy. Um, then there's the uh, L.A. City Council story. I don't know that one. So apparently, it, I, didn't, I didn't get into it really deep, but apparently a bunch of members of the Los Angeles City Council were, were told that they should resign because a video leaked of, or, of, or audio leaked. Gangbang situation? No, 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 no. no. Uh, of these Hispanic members of the L.A. City Council. It's not a gangbang situation? Ta- talking in very racist ways about other minority groups. Oh, really? So, yeah, so here's the thing. This, nobody talks about this, but you've got minority groups. You've got like the Hispanic groups and you've got the black groups, let's say, that are minorities there. And they're technically on one side of the aisle. Mm-hmm. But on that side of the aisle, they're vying for power between each other. So you've got these Mexican um, uh, um, heritage members of the city council that want to protect and support the, the Mexican heritage population. They also want to keep themselves in power, and if the, and if they're being challenged by other minority groups on the left, then they're going to obviously have conflict. So they were talking shit about black people, and it, everyone knows about it now. Yeah. And I think two of the members have resigned, and one of or the third one is refusing to resign. Yeah. And now that's an interesting story, but in Los Angeles, yeah, you know, I would love to get some uh, some. Hidden camera footage of the type of things that black people say about Mexicans. Because I guarantee you that that's there. 100%. Yeah. And most likely on the the black people who are on the city council, probably them. They probably say that kind of shit. Um, I think think those are everything I have. But I do have one other thing. I know we're coming up on time. One other thing that I wrote down, uh, so I'll just bring it up. I'm not really sure. It's it's part of the transgender uh, topic. But... um, the chaplain of Kent University, I think this is in England, said this, homosexuality doesn't exist because it can only exist in a binary. Okay. So you've got a religious figure, a relatively prestigious one, who's saying that homosexuality doesn't exist because there is no such thing as just a binary, a gender binary. So now that we've introduced this transgendered um, topic, uh, principle, concept into our um, lexicon, that it's, it's overturned this pr- prior um, categorization scheme. Homosexual, heterosexual doesn't exist anymore because homosexual and heterosexual only exists if there's a man and a woman only. Now that there's more... There's no such thing. I don't really understand why this is good, though. I'm, oh, this one particular one. I'm saying I'm not saying it's good. I'm just oh. I'm just I'm wondering what you think about it. I think that that priest is stupid. No, I'm okay. Um, I think that that priest is. I guess I would need to know more about the specifics of what he's saying, but to me, it seems like that priest is just denying reality in an attempt to be accepting. Um, and I think that 
there's something good about not being accepting. Yeah. I think that if you accept everything, you're ruined. Yes. So. Judgment is critical. I agree. But here's here's the thing I think this here's the thing I think about. Um, the church is struggling, you know, with yeah. mem- with membership. So let's bring in the gays. You look you take a look at really extreme uh, countries in the Middle East, religious uh, theocracies in the Middle East. And there are places where, uh, I think it might be in Saudi Arabia, where they have a um, very like high rate of um, people coming out as transgendered. Now, we do obviously in this country too, but in a place like Saudi Arabia, you kind of wonder how much of the popular culture and like um, how much of the social con- contagion or pressure exists there compared to here like here you think if one kid says i'm transgendered all their friends might say me too but there i it seems less likely because of the religious conservative religious context but you have a whole bunch of men in saudi arabia that are i think and i I hope saudi arabia is the right country i think it is Uh, but in the middle east anyway who say oh i'm i'm really a woman i'm 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 in the wrong body because they have a they have a huge underground homosexual community because you can't be gay there or they will kill you. You can't be gay under those rules. So instead, the government, the society, gives them a pass if they're really a woman. So you have this conservative, like you can't even imagine a more religiously conservative place than Saudi Arabia. And they're saying homosexuality is a sin. But if you get a surgery, if you're you're really a girl then you can be as gay as you want because it's not gay. Mm. I think that is related to what the chaplain of Kent University, what he said. There is no gay. And if there's no gay, anybody who thinks they're gay is now welcome to be a Christian. You see what I mean? I think there's something self-serving going on there, and it's a little weird. Um, but I, don't, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think of that? I still don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not, say, I'm not asking you to. I'm not asking no, I know you to, you're not, but I'm just saying... Knock it off, priest. Because we, we got to keep it, you know, <laughs> I don't know, old-fashioned. I think that should be our, our sign-off for the day. Keep it old-fashioned. Knock it off, priest. <laughs> That's the wrong one. What the fuck was that? That was the wrong one. Well, there you have it. <laughs> That's one avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go. I hope you enjoyed thinking along with us. I know, I know. It's not easy work thinking it's hard and full of uncertainties but i'm grateful for the company as we trek through this together here's to hoping that the juice is worth the squeeze see what i did there let's find out together in the next episode and we're out